Behind the bulb is a deep dive into the ideas and industries of our world. Have you ever looked at a structure and asked, whatever happened to the people that built this? What motivated those people to wake up in the morning and head off to work? No matter the occupation, these are real questions. But simply, why do we do what we do? This season, we focus on the building industry. We know the basic principles of how things are built, but we often don't know the narratives of the people involved in building them. Lend us your ears as we unfold their journey. Whether you are a part of the building industry or not, we think you will enjoy listening to these inspiring stories. Welcome to Behind the Bulb. I'm Brendan McCartney. And I'm James Young. Uh, this week, we have Alyssa Weber. She currently resides in Colorado, and we talk about the balance between work and life. And sustainability, she used to go on hikes with her family as a young child, and this had an impact on how she practices sustainability today. At one point, she wanted to be a snowboarder. When she was in college, she thought about being a journalist, but she ended up in engineering. How did this all happen? We think you'll enjoy listening to Alyssa. Let's roll. We're elated to have uh, a snowboarder, and this is as social media reads, snowboarder, sustainability nut, engineer, obsessed traveler, enthusiast of, well, it seems like all things. What we really want to know, Alyssa, what was the last concert you went to? Oh, goodness. The last concert I went to. Wow, I have to think so far back thanks to uh, quarantine and COVID. Um, let's see. You know, I'm having a little bit of a hard time thinking about what the exact last one was, but the one that really sticks out in my mind uh, was um, Tribe Called Quest at Red Rock Amphitheater here in Colorado. <laughs> so. Tribe Called Quest, that's a great band right there. Yeah, it was awesome. We had an opportunity to see them on like a farewell tour and uh, it was really cool. Any show at Red Rocks is always awesome also. That wasn't with the late uh, Fife Dog, was it? Was he there? Was this after his passing? No, he wasn't there. Um, It was, yeah, they kind of had like a, it was really cool though. They had a a microphone stand, you know, right in the center of the stage with a spotlight on it, kind of as a tribute. Um, throughout the whole show. So it was cool. Yeah. Yeah. Your taste in rap music is it was there a place that it started growing up? Um, you know, I I don't know exactly where it started, but I am from New York, from upstate New York actually. Um, and I just I was just such a nineties hip hop R and D kid. Like I loved I just loved it. Um and I still listen to quite a bit of hip hop today, along with a lot of other things as well. Uh, you, it seems like you're the kind of person who's able to stay in the present moment. Do you, do you, I mean, it's always, it seems to be a challenge, but do you, would you agree with that statement? Um, you know, I definitely, I certainly try my best, uh, to stay in the present moment. Um, I do have, uh, I try to have a mindfulness practice, you know, do some meditation type stuff and, and things like that to help keep me on track. Um, cause if I, if I don't, you know, sometimes I do tend to be a little bit of a warrior thinking about the future, uh, kind of stuff. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I, I would say that I do my best to, to stay in the present moment and really just enjoy life and, um, take things, kind of roll with the punches and take things as they come, which I think is, uh, an important quality for a manufacturer's rep to have. 
for sure. <laughs> going with the flow. So, yeah. Yeah, every day brings something new, and and then you got to, and then you know, how do you fit in leisure time? You know, in your day when it can, your day could easily be a twenty-four hour cycle, right? But you you got to fit the leisure time in. Are you do you find that you're able to fit leisure in? Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's a good that's a good question because you know, as a someone who is in you know kind of a sales role and in that representative role, it's, um, you know, I have my cell phone on me all the time. I'm always available. And, you know, taking calls from clients late at night when they're working on deadlines and they have questions. Um, so it is, it can be really challenging to set boundaries. Um, I, I'm definitely the type of person that kind of lives and dies by my calendar. Um, so unfortunately, it's like I schedule my leisure time in a lot of the time, you know, or my, um, my exercise or, you know, lunch plans with my husband or friends or, you know, evening plans. I, um, I try to be really good about blocking off that time on my calendar um, and setting those boundaries and, you know, letting people know that I'm not available uh, for personal reasons or otherwise um, during those times and, and trying to stick with it as best I can. So, yeah, I think I, I, think I do a decent job. I try, I've gotten better at it as I've, as I've gotten later in my career, uh, for sure. You mentioned manufacturer's representative. So, do you mind explaining uh, what a manufacturer's representative is in construction and then specifically for lighting? Yeah, absolutely. So um, a manufacturer's representative is an, a company uh, that will have essentially what we call a line card. Um, so they sign uh, contracts, typically they're exclusive contracts within a specific territory of the country uh, with manufacturers who you know, manufacture a product and have factories uh, both in the U.S. or internationally. Um, and, you know, we create these agreements with these manufacturers to essentially represent them here locally in, in our market. So our market is Colorado and Southern Wyoming. Um, so we have sort of that list of manufacturers that we represent, and it's our job to be experts on those products. So um, in the lighting world, um, my company represents both light fixtures and lighting controls. I am specific to lighting controls. Um, so what I do is essentially have expertise on uh, my lighting control manufacturers, all of the kind of parts and pieces and ins and outs of how a lighting control or building automation system goes together, uh, what those capabilities are, how they get programmed, all that kind of stuff. Um, and I can help my customers on the specification side uh, with um, designing those systems, you know, making sure everything is accounted for and designed uh, so that it will work for their sequence of operation and their expectations. Um, and then also, you know, we manage the process from start to finish. So uh, we have in-house engineers who do uh, what we call shop drawings, and, um, you know, those are, essentially drawings that the contractor can build off of and install off of very, you know, very detailed engineered drawings. Um, we have people who do project management, coordination of, you know, shipping products, getting it to the construction site, making sure that it's correct. Um, and then at the end of the project, we also have programmers who um, help to basically go out and implement software in the building to, um, to make the system function and test system, uh, you know, make sure that when you walk in a room and you hit the on button, the lights turn on, um, or, you know, lots of other 
much more complicated thing. Right. <laughs> you know, we were speaking to one of our other guests and he spoke about the satisfaction that comes with just the lighting in sp- specifically because there's a known moment when, you know, you hit the switch and the lights go on and you, you do this and they dim and you hit scene B and B happens. It's it's gratifying to see it functions, right? The, li- the lights are doing what they're supposed to do. Meanwhile, other trades don't always, yeah, they don't necessarily get that type of satisfaction, right? We're going to flush all the toilets at the same time. You know, I mean, you know, I'm sure, you know, and I'm sure that they have their, I mean, that's incredible work in itself as well. Right. And, uh, but for lighting specifically, they have this satisfaction that's, um, uh, pretty crucial. Um, but you know, so manufacturers representative now, uh, prior to, uh, what, what you're doing today, what was your previous capacity? So I um, I started out my career in electrical engineering. Um, I dabbled a little bit in lighting design, and I decided that I kind of liked the more technical aspects, so I leaned more towards electrical engineering uh, at the beginning of my career. Um, so I had worked for a couple companies doing electrical engineering consulting, uh, you know, designing the electrical infrastructure and whatnot. Um, and... In one of those roles, I ended up basically working on a pretty complex lighting project. Um, this was actually, uh, it must have been about seven years ago now, six years ago. Um, I designed my first ever LED, fully LED lighting project, um, which is kind of crazy to think about now because everything is LED these days. Um, but yeah, so that project ended up being really complicated on the lighting control side. Uh, the owner wanted a really sophisticated lighting control system with integration to other building systems and all sorts of, uh, really cool stuff that they wanted to do on this, uh, campus. So I got into the details of that lighting control project and just kind of was, I don't know, enamored with, um, the complication of it or like the complexity of it, but then also really just the simplicity at the end result of turning the light on, turning the light off, dimming it up and down. You know, there's, there's a lot of stuff that goes into the, the back end to make that happen. Um, but I was really just, uh, I just totally loved that project and had a really great experience and um, decided that I wanted to kind of specialize and focus more on one, one particular discipline within the electrical world. Uh, and that's, I wanted that to be lighting control. So yeah. And it really it, specific. It's, it's interesting. Um, I, cause, cause I, I became aware of, of what the work you were doing, um, in Colorado when, uh, there was a, a manufacturer held a, a national conference in Las Vegas and the work that you were doing was being um, put into a position and saying, Hey, this works, what they're doing in Colorado works. And these are some of the techniques that they're using. What's interesting is you, you were presenting to an, an audience of manufacturer representatives of, Hey, this is, this is, this is a way to approach controls in your respective market prior to you becoming a manufacturer's representative, did you feel that that what you would like to provide to the to the construction community was missing and that the manufacturer's representative was the outlet by which you'd be able to bring to fruition some of the techniques that you were using in this project that you're referencing? You know, I wouldn't necessarily say it was 
it was totally missing from our market. I mean, you know, we definitely have some strong competitors, you know, I'll, I'll admit it. They're, you know, got a lot of respect for, for the people in our market who are, who are fighting the good fight out there, <laughs> fighting controls. Um, but I will say, you know, I do think that um, based on my experience and coming from the electrical engineering world, um, you know, I definitely was able to provide um, maybe a, maybe a little bit different of a perspective on it, um, you know, really understanding the needs of the clients, of the engineers and architects and owners and what they're looking for, what they're asking for, and the challenges that they face on a daily basis. I think I, I really had that, um, I had that very personal experience you know, working on that side of the industry. So bringing that over into uh, the manufacturer's representative role, um, I was definitely, I feel like I was able to potentially provide a little bit more value or, or more services um, in, in some cases that, you know, just based on my experience um, on the other side. Has there been a moment, you know, over the past couple of years where you were commissioning or troubleshooting well past working hours or just at an odd hour and you thought to yourself, what, man, I, I didn't think I was going to be here. Right. I, you know, in high school <laughs> or college, it, it, this, has that happened to you? What, where has that happened to you? And interestingly, I, I had a little bit of a preview of some of that when I was working at ME engineers, um, really large, um, kind of high profile company works on a lot of, stadiums and arenas and just really, really cool projects. It was awesome experience working there. Um, but when actually when I first, so I'm going to go back a little bit before I answer your question, I guess. Um, you know, when I first started working there, I, I got hired and, you know, they were onboarding some projects and they were kind of, you know, figuring out where they could fit me in um, and, you know, start getting me some workload. And one of the things that I actually helped to do uh, was sort of a closeout process for a baseball stadium in Florida. And they flew me out there and they told me that, you know, your job is to handle the aiming of the light. Um, some of that was actually the sports lighting in the stadium. Some of it was, you know, around the concourse and in the clubs and spaces like that. Um, and of course, aiming can't be done during the day, right? You have to be able to see the light uh, in order to aim them. Uh, so we were up you know, basically started at sunset and went until sunrise um, doing that aiming process. And that was one of the first experiences I had, you know, it's probably, I think I was like 24 years old at that time. And, um, you know, I was like really energized by it. I was like, wow, it's just so cool, you know, getting to dial in this final product. Um, so I kind of got a little bit of a sneak peek of, of those late nights uh, in my experience doing that. Um, but yes, you know, now I definitely, I spend tons of late nights on job sites, um, you know, specifically a lot of my work that ends up being after hours or later long days um, are typically when I'm on a construction site and I'm testing the systems, I'm, you know, working with a lighting designer or an architect to help them uh, set scenes and presets for the building, you know, really dial in the gym levels of, of a building so that it creates the overall mood and feel that they envisioned of the project at the very beginning. Um, so yeah, we, you know, I definitely spend a lot of late nights doing that kind of stuff. And um, sometimes it is really, 
it is really challenging and uh, you kind of get a little sick of it, especially if it happens night after night or, you know, pretty <laughs> consistently. Um, but, you know, that being said, here and there, like having a, a late night on a job site to get to dial in the final product, um, I find that extremely rewarding and um, really fun to do, actually. Yeah, I actually, um, it's funny you mentioned a ballpark. I, uh, the reason why we started five minutes late on this is because I was coming from a ballpark and some lighting issues. <laughs> So nice. I can. Yeah. I, hope, I hope that all the lights in Florida were working uh, by the time you left, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's always the that's always the stressful part. Is uh, are the lights turning on? on yeah. That's one. <laughs> Correct me if I'm wrong. When you were in college, and then you and you th- thought about the things in the industries you were going to end up in, or the companies you were going to end up in, the places you would go. When you were there at the ballpark, in some ways, was it a, man, this is, I didn't think this was going to be it, but this, I'm glad I'm here. I'm glad this is the way it, it's working. In some ways, you know, I, I feel like I kind of sort of tumbled into lighting and electrical and the construction industry. I, I wasn't really the type of person who started out college knowing that I wanted to do this and really definitively deciding that this is what I was going to do. Um, kind of a series of dominoes that all fell and sort of descended up here. Um, but I, you know, I think uh, getting to work on exciting projects and having a really good variety in my day and in my weeks and working on different things, um, you know, really getting to kind of dive into the details of lots of different projects with different requirements. Um, I, I find it extremely challenging. I, and and for that reason, I'm very engaged and feel very rewarding, uh, rewarded, excuse me, um, by that process. So I definitely did not know that this is what I wanted to do when I started college. Um, but you know, over, over time, it's, um, you know, that saying where, wherever you go, there you are. <laughs> um, you know, I've always, I've always liked being challenged. I've always liked taking on lots of responsibility, um, you know, really helping to fill in the gaps that might exist on a project team or on a project, um, you know, that's always been my, my style and, and kind of what I do. So um, it kind of makes sense when I look back where I landed, but uh, it definitely wasn't what I had originally planned. <laughs> so. What was your original plan? I actually started out college. Um, I wanted to work for a snowboard magazine. Uh, that was <laughs> my, that was my goal. I wanted to be, uh, a writer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I was really interested in journalism actually, um, you know, communications, writing. Um, I actually started out college as a business and communications major. Um, and I did that for a whole year and kind of realized that I was, I was a little bit bored doing it. I wasn't feeling super challenged, um, by the coursework. I wasn't feeling super inspired by, you know, the prospects and whatnot looking into the future. Um, and I was kind of like, you know, I, I'm pretty good at math and science. I really like math and science. Maybe I'll transfer to the engineering school. So I transferred to the engineering school um, and I ended up with uh, my advisor in the engineering school that I was assigned to was Bob Davis. I don't know if you guys know him, but he's kind of a legend in the lighting industry. Um, yeah. Yeah, he's awesome. So he was a teacher. He was a, a professor at CU Boulder 
for a really long time. Him and David Delora really, um, really just made this amazing architectural uh, illumination engineering program. Um, so I ended up with Bob Davis as my advisor and was just really inspired um, by meeting with him and talking with him and uh, just thought that, you know, the creative aspects of architectural engineering and lighting were so cool. Um, so then I decided to go into architectural engineering, decided to focus on lighting. Um, and yeah, the, I guess somewhat, you know, sort of the rest of history. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was definitely, it was a, it was a very uh, meandering path that, that got me here for sure. I have a question. How do you move sustainability forward and not impede human evolution? It's a tough How question. How do you move yeah, sustainability forward and not impede human evolution? Is that the question? And it might be a flawed question, right? Because I'm tying the two together. I'm saying, unfortunately, I'm saying, and I, I don't, I'm not saying I agree with this or disagree with this, but more, I'm just curious. There's, as it, as you we instill sustainability, if we as we practice sustainability pract, uh, 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 actions, are we potentially impeding human progression? Yeah, it's interesting. Um, you know, I think that I think that that could be true. I, uh, you know, on the spot, it, it makes me want to like go and read books about that or something and come back and answer your question. Um, I, well, I but, think I think you answer, I think you may have answered it. We read an old tweet from from you, and it was, yeah. <laughs> we did, and it stated regarding a tram po- project in the Grand Canyon. I, believe may have been proposed and you said wrong place wrong project which was well put because you weren't saying no tram should be built anywhere you were saying just not there and i thought that that was a that was a thought it was a thoughtful tweet right you weren't just trying to denounce the entire play you know the project but so that that there's a you mentioned mindfulness in the beginning about being able to maintain presence there's also, it seems that you, you are practicing mindfulness when it comes to sustainability as well. I guess it's a little bit of a juxtaposition, if you will, of I work in the construction industry. We're building things, we're expanding, we're developing land or, you know, um, building, you know, high rises or whatever it may be. Um, but then I also have sort of that passion for sustainability. So uh, it certainly is a conflicting conflicting thing, um, you know, I think that doing, you know, developing and building while also trying to be mindful of uh, our impact on the environment and our surroundings and, um, you know, the impact that we might have on the world as a result of that development, um, I think is really important to keep in mind. Um, You know, I certainly don't certainly not saying no development, you know, of course, the most sustainable thing we could do is just not build anything new. Um, so I, that's also not realistic and not practical. Um, Cause I, you know, I have a passion for sustainability, but I'm also a very practical person. And, um, you know, we have, expand, you know, ever growing population and um, people need to pl- need places to live and need places to work. And, um, you know, we need to provide those spaces for them in, you know, as healthy of a way as we can, in my opinion. 
Um, so yeah, I mean, I think that it is, it is a, a, a balance, right. Of, of trying to do things as responsibly as we can, but also meet the needs of our citizens and our, our building occupants and, and whatnot. Um, and yeah, it's interesting. I'm not super active on Twitter anymore, but, um, yeah, I remember that I was, uh, I was very upset about, they were going to, they were talking about building a tram right down to the confluence of the Colorado river and the lower Colorado. Um, and I've actually, I, I went on a whitewater rafting trip in the grand Canyon, a uh, three week private trip with a group of friends. Um, we rode the boats ourselves. We did everything ourselves, no guides or anything. Um, so the grand Canyon is a very special place for me personally, because, um, it just has this like really remote aspect of it. Um, you know, just true adventure and it's a really, really beautiful place. And, um, while I would certainly love for people to access it and see it and appreciate it, uh, I think that there's, there's some limits to that and, and some boundaries that need to be set, um, for access to those types of remote wild spaces, in my opinion. When I was in, when I was nine years old, my, my mother packed, packed my brother and I, <laughs> plus a bunch of stuff in a van. And we did a six week road trip, uh, to the West coast, to Oregon where her brother lived. And then we drove, did three weeks out and then we did three weeks back and we stopped at all national parks along the way. So we stopped at Badlands. We stopped at Glacier National Park. We stopped at Grand Tetons, Olympic, Olympia, and, um. Numerous others, but we stopped at Grand Teton and we stayed at a hostel there, which I didn't know what a hostel was when I was nine years old, but I found out very quickly <laughs> after one night what a hostel was. It's a, it's a hostel environment. <laughs> yeah. But then, but then there's a tram in the Grand Teton at Jackson Hole uh, for Rendezvous Mountain that takes you up to to the top of Rendezvous Mountain. You can you can take it. You've been there, right? Yeah. Yeah, well, I see, I see Jackson. Are you talking about the tram that goes yep. from the base of Jackson up? Yep, yep, definitely. Yep, and I was like nine years old, and I don't. I, I believe the Rendezvous Mountain is about ten thousand feet. Uh, it's it's pretty high up there, um, and this tram takes you up there. And I was nine, and there's no way I would ever end up that high in that elevation at that age, perhaps. You know, so I was able to experience the elevation by way of the tram. Now, if you take me today and before that tram was built, I'd probably argue, yeah, we don't need a tram. You just wait till the person's old enough so they can go up and experience it. Much like with a zoo, right? Oh, the zoo, you have these animals captive. However, you now can educate. I think that sustainability is often tied to this concept of being able to educate younger people. You, You now potentially give access to individuals who can become people practicing sustainability. So Alyssa growing up, was it your interactions with the environment that led to you having a a passion for sustainability or was it something that within your family was practiced and, and talked about because you went on hikes as a family and things like that? Absolutely. So, you know, my, my parents were also, you know, they raised us uh, very outwardly from a young age, you know, most of our families experience camping um, or getting a cabin in the Adirondack Mountains of New York, um, doing a lot of hiking and fishing and, um, 
you know, just generally being outdoors. And, um, you know, I definitely think that that sort of planted that seed for me in um, just really feeling at home outdoors and loving it outdoors and, um, you know, really needing it, honestly. And, you know, now that I'm older, um, when I'm able to go out into the backcountry, um, you know, turn my phone off, and really just be out there in nature. That's, that's how I reset, you know, that's how I don't burn out <laughs> with, with the crazy work life. Um, so yeah, I think it definitely planted a seed for me. Um, both of my parents actually, they met in forestry school um, at Syracuse. And so they also had a background in, you know, environment, environmental type of, of industries. Um, so I think, I think it definitely is a little bit baked in to my my DNA and also you know my childhood experience as well for sure. It's beautiful because you're also reducing the carbon footprint by working within the lighting industry and instituting energy saving practices with your solution with the lighting control so- solutions as well as the lighting. Yeah, trying to. <laughs> where do you? Yeah, where definitely do you trying think- to. Where do you think that the electrical industry rates as far as the direction that it's going with sustainability? Yeah, you know, I mean, I think, um, I think sustainability has been an interesting, generally an interesting topic in our industry. Um, you know, when I was, when I was younger and consulting, um, it was all about lead, you know, lead building, um, getting your, your lead, um, accreditation accreditation, um, getting buildings certified. And I feel like, um, and I don't know if this is totally accurate for all markets, but uh, at least here in Colorado, I feel like in some ways LEED hasn't um, been quite as on the front of of mind as it used to be. And I think a big reason for that is because of the energy codes. Um, You know, the bare minimum requirements of energy codes are really being pushed hard by local governments and, and even on a national level, just with the, the IBC, the International Building Council. Um, so I think, you know, energy code is really kind of pushing the envelope on um, building performance and efficiency. Um, and I know that a lot of a lot of jurisdictions have goals of, you know, net zero by 2040 or whatever. Um, it's different throughout the whole country. And I think that those energy codes are are sort of the tool that they're using to try to achieve some of those uh, sustainability goals as jurisdictions. Um, so I think that, I think that things are, are definitely moving in the right direction. I think, um, I don't know how the electrical industry would, would rank uh, necessarily, but um, I think that the, the pushing of energy codes throughout the country um, is really sort of forcing the, the issue of designing these buildings in a more sustainable way. Um, now I have to say that there's, you know, there's a, again, a balance uh, to that because um, all of these, these energy code advancements that are, that are being issued um, really drive up the cost of, of buildings and can actually make it very difficult for some owners and developers to, to build in certain areas. So um you know, it's kind of a catch-22 because I'm very, I'm definitely very supportive of the energy codes and, and getting more aggressive with sustainability and, and everything. Um, but at the same time, you know, want to make sure 
our industry stays healthy and, um, you know, people remain employed and, and everything kind of keeps moving forward. Um, so, you know, there is kind of two sides to that coin. And I think there's a, a balance that, um, that we really need to find as an industry there. Yeah. So the, um, you know, we've talked about sustainability and how, where it's come from within your life and how you're practicing it to this day. But one, one other concept that is not often taught, but it's, it's either passed on through family or a friend or it's learned along the way through experience is work ethic and motivation, things like that. Do, do you attribute your own work ethic to just who you are as a person or there have been people on the way that have demonstrated high quality, high effort in their work and they continue to help inspire you and motivate you to have a great work ethic yourself. Yeah. I mean, I think it's definitely a little bit of both. Um, I think that I, it's definitely part of my DNA, part of my personality to just, um, you know, really want to work hard and, um, stay motivated and stay inspired in what I'm doing. And, um, you know, that's definitely been kind of a theme for me and something that, you know, traits that I've kind of had since I was really young. You know, my parents have all sorts of funny stories of when I was little and the the things I used to organize and stuff. And, you know, like it was this this nine-year-old who's trying to organize a play with the neighborhood kids and put it on for charity at our church, you know, like, what's going on? Um, actually, I was nine. That's wrong. I don't know how old I was. But, um, but, you know, I just always have had that, um, kind of that drive to, um, you know, want to, want to try to help organize and lead things. And, um, just really, I've, I've just always had that in my personality. Um, but, you know, certainly along the way, I've had, um, examples of people who have certainly inspired me and, um, you know, kind of see, see the path of forward of, you know, where I might want to go in my career and things like that. Um, so I certainly, it's definitely a little bit of both, you know? Yeah. Um, and you, you mentioned, uh, some individuals who, during your co- collegiate years that inspired you in lighting and electrical engineering. And you're mentioning, uh, individuals who have inspired you for your work ethic. Is this it? You mentioned where you go in your career. Have you filled (laughs) per se, have you filled your passion cup of sustainability in your current role? Are you saving enough energy in the solutions you put forth? Or is there something larger at play where, you know, they say, I remember meeting a man in Peru at a hostel when I, I was traveling in college with some friends, we were doing the uh, Inca trail to Machu Picchu and we were at a hostel. That awesome. was a fantastic yeah. memory. And we met a group of individuals who had been traveling for two years. And I still, to this day, I, I still question, you know, is the concept of like those who are wandering are truly lost. Right. And then there's the, co- the counter to that is like not all who wander are truly lost. Right. That's like that Instagram fa- phrase <laughs> that everybody loves. But, yeah. you know, it's it makes me 
wonder, are you, somebody who loves to travel, are you, is it not enough right now? And there's something more at play for what you're looking for. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, you know, I, I think that as I've, as I've gotten older and kind of continued on in my career, some of the things that are more important for me in terms of ambition and where I want my life to go, um, aren't necessarily career oriented, right? Like traveling and spending time in the outdoors and, you know, new adventures out, outdoors and taking those that time off to do those things is, and having the ability to, you know, take the time off and, and the flexibility to do things like that are definitely extremely important to me. Um, and so I think, you know, when I think about looking forward down, you know, looking forward into the future, it's, it's definitely back to that kind of theme of balance of, um, having a, you know, a rewarding career that challenges me that, um, I have room for advancement and, you know, I can, I can be moving forward in my career, but also that I can unplug and, and take the time to travel and, and do other things. Um, you know, I certainly would love if I could sometime in the future, take a longer trip and, and do something like those guys were doing, you know, down South America. That sounds awesome. I've always right. wanted to do something like that. Um, but it is also a balance. I, I don't know that I am the type of person who could truly just travel, like strictly travel for years. You know, I feel like I, um, I do really like to have, uh, tasks and goals and, you know, working towards, um, completing projects and things like that. So, um, yeah, I think, I think it's a little bit of both. And I, you know, I definitely am, I do really love the work that I do now. I think going from electrical engineering where your expertise is a little bit more broad, you know, you have to design uh, fire alarm systems and power systems and lighting systems and all these different things. Um, so then transitioning to focusing on, you know, you know, basically trying to become an expert on one thing, which is for me, lighting control. Um, I really love that. And I really, really enjoy what I do. Um, I think sort of in my mind, the next, challenge is going to be um, maybe more on the business side of, um, you know, wanting to advance my career um, into more of a, a leadership position, management position, um, managing more people and, and things like that. Um, that's kind of where I, I would like to be headed. Um, but with that balance, you know, I gotta, I gotta get my snowboarding time. So yeah. I, I just won't, I just won't make it. Maybe <laughs> so. you can manage a snowboarding school. <laughs> yeah. I know that would be, I could totally craft a, a fake career of yeah managing a snowboard school that yeah. focuses on net zero sustainability. <laughs> do, Alyssa, do you think there's a turn, a specific turn in somebody's life where they, they begin to start to understand my generation is the operating at a capacity in in the work field right now that a lot of responsibility is falling on my generation and it's now my you know duty as well as the generation's duty to take on that burden of the workforce for the rest of the world right or for the you know for for as representative of your own generation 
And then there's a point where I'm going to operate in this capacity and then there's a turn that's going to happen where it's going to be more about educating the next generation to make sure that they're rep ready and prepped to be, take on the very role that you there had taken. Uh, do you do you think there's a turn that specifically happens in one one's life where it's like, yeah. I'm good to travel. I don't need to travel anymore or I don't need to go to Patagonia, right? I, don't, I'm, I thought I was going to go there. I always wanted to, but it's just not going to happen. I settled with going to uh, British Columbia, right? Or something like that, right? Do you think there's a turn that ha- yeah. happens? You know, I guess I, um, I'm sure it's different for everybody. I, I think that, um, you know, for some people that might happen, I don't, I don't necessarily see that happening for myself. I think I, I hope I will continue to be, um, you know, really curious and motivated and excited to continue exploring and traveling and, um, you know, doing my best to advance my career and help advance the industry in certain ways and, you know, all of that type of stuff. I think, um, I think that, that motivation and that curiosity is really what drives me. And so I, I hope that I continue to have that well into my later years. Um, but I do think that there is a time when, you know, it is, it is, it is also time to start, you know, looking back and, and really, you know, reaching out the hand and pulling up others into, um, roles or positions within careers, um, or, you know, also in the fact of encouraging or, um, you know, trying to help inspire people to, um, do the things that, that you might like to do. I think it's, um, I think it can be both. I feel like that's my answer to a lot of your questions. I'm like, it's both. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, no, the, the questions but, I ask yeah. are often long-winded and confusing, and I know that about myself. <laughs> so I, I just hope uh, of the things I say, one of them is lens. Yeah. No, they're great questions. They're very, very thoughtful questions. No, it's very interesting. Yeah. Well, uh, Alyssa, um, really have enjoyed speaking with you. And I know we're coming up uh, towards the end of the time here. So we want to be respectful of your time. Do you have any last questions for us? No, I don't think so. This has been really, this has been really fun. I, I was kind of nervous at first. So thank you for making this so enjoyable as a conversation and great question. <laughs> well, and, you know, the concept is we're all, and you touched on it and it, it I'm glad. And that is people are, in this industry and they are people, right? That's the kind of the concept and we all run into problems. And uh, James has said on the podcast prior, there's a lot of troubleshooting involved with lighting. Yeah. Uh, and you can be going in those weird hours and, but you're working side by side with people, different types of people, right? People who are first year in the industry or five years in the industry. And there's something c- cool that kind of happens Every single time, regardless if they're a 20 year vet or a five year person in there uh, or you're coming from from the office, like you're an office person or, oh, here comes the rep, you know, or (laughs) here comes the lighting designer. Yeah. yeah. There's usually that jargon that goes back and forth and little just little jabs here and there. But at the end of the day, when the project is completed. There's a camaraderie there and it's like this human element that kind of comes into play that is, is a beautiful thing. And it, and these are, and everyone comes from very different walks of life. And I think it can be, it's found in construction and in more, more in construction than any other place. And, um, 
you kind of touched on that a little bit and it's appreciated. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I totally agree. Well, thank you, Alyssa. We appreciate you having you. Uh, it's been a, del- a delightful time and uh, hopefully we'll be able to speak with you again in another season. Absolutely. That sounds great. Thanks for having me. Happy snowboarding. <laughs> almost. We're getting, it's starting to cool down. We're almost, we're almost getting there. Almost getting there. Yeah, I'm counting down the days, you know, so I can, uh, <laughs> until it snows. <laughs> Alrighty, well, be safe, Alyssa, and we'll talk to you soon. Sounds good, guys. Have a good evening. Thank Take you. Care. And that's it for this week's episode. Thank you for your time. Thanks for listening. And if you could, please subscribe and share with your family and friends. Here's a sneak peek into next week's episode. You're at a bar and someone asks, what do you do? And you're responding, outreach coordinator. So I do you say, tell them a story? Do you, do you, <laughs> I'm an outreach coordinator for an electrical apprenticeship. And then they go, oh, so you tell people about opportunities in an apprenticeship. Or if they don't get that, then that's what I tell them. And they go, oh, that's cool. That's really cool. So you're an electrician? Yeah, I'm a journeyman sound technician. Yeah, I sure am. Really? So you worked out in the field with all those guys? I sure did. And I didn't let them carry my ladder, even though they asked. This podcast has been sponsored by ProCal Lighting.